This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next-generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rubin, and today we're joined by Anafi Wahed, co-founder of The Flipside. Anafi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you. So I'm particularly interested in this conversation because I think your organization and uh, your product, rather, is very exciting and uh, very important. Um, the flip side, correct me if I'm wrong, is a daily digest. It's a newsletter that showcases the best of what the left and the right are saying on any particular subject. Is that a fair description? Perfect. You nailed it. Awesome. So um, I'm curious, how did you go about uh, co-founding this organization? Why are you down this path and why do you think it's important? Yeah, great question. So my background's actually not in media or journalism. After college, I spent four years working in finance. Um, and it was the summer of 2016. Um, I had grown up in New York City, I had moved back uh, to New York after college and was very much living in a liberal bubble, wondering what the heck was going on with the 2016 election, uh, wondering how people were voting for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, for example. I still um, wonder to this day. <laughs> and I did know uh, Republicans in New York, but they were all voting for Hillary Clinton. And um, it was a plethora of things that led me to uh, quit my job at Ernst & Young and go to work for Hillary in New Hampshire. Uh, but the, re- the the main driving point was I was genuinely confused, both uh, politically, morally, intellectually, mm-hmm. um, in, in all ways one can think of. Yeah. Um, and I really just wanted to go out in the field and see what it was that people found appealing about Donald Trump. And so uh, in that journey, I discovered what I think uh, many people have since discovered, which is that uh, one of the many, many, many problems uh, plaguing our nation today is that we're living in filter bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I won't blame it all on uh, tech companies, but uh, you know the social media is uh, pointedly making things worse. Uh, but just the fact that uh, I grew up watching CNN, reading New York Times, and when I was knocking on the doors of conservatives, um, they're reading uh, Breitbart, for example, or they're watching Fox News, and it seemed like we were just living in different realities. Yeah. Uh, I consider myself, you know, pretty socially capable, and it was so hard for me to even start a conversation because we didn't have a starting point. Uh, there were there, there were just so many inconsistencies between uh, the way I viewed the world and the way they viewed the world. In order to have a conversation, you have to have some shared assumptions. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's what. Uh, I set out to fix after the election, after the heartbreak, the tears. Um, and Because you worked for Hillary. Yes. So what was that like the day after the election? Oh, God, it was devastating. Mm-hmm. I uh, cried for a week, um, especially because we did not see it coming. So it was right. both... Uh, I'm not sure anyone saw it coming. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, the night of the election, we had gotten... Um, a lot of alcohol, a lot of food. We expected all our volunteers to show up at the office and celebrate. We were getting ready, just all of that hard work. Um, I mean, we were knocking on doors until 7.45 p.m. 
um, making sure that every last person got out wow. to vote. And um, you were in New Hampshire? I was in New Hampshire. We won New Hampshire by a thousand votes. Wow. Uh, those four electoral <laughs> uh, <laughs> points. And so, you know, every vote mattered. And we worked, we had worked so hard and we're watching, uh, you know, the results come on TV. I think even at 9.30, we were, we, we, we thought it was going to happen. It was going right. to be close. Right. You know, we were not happy, but we were waiting for the inevitable. And then the completely unexpected happened. And I remember watching the New York Times. They had that oh live uh, needle tracker. Yep. Oh my gosh, it made me yep. so sick. It, it, yeah, it was uh, probably one of the 10 worst nights of my life. So fast forward, you have one of the 10 worst nights of your life. Mm -hmm. At what point did you decide, hey, I actually want to try to make things a little bit better? What did that evolution look like? I think after uh, the loss, I had so many friends asking me what happened, mm. right? Um, this was before Hillary's book came right, out. Right, right. <laughs> um, that I, was the question on everyone's mind. Exactly. And... What happened? And obviously there, will, there have been books written, there will be... PhD dissertations written yeah. and, you know, the whole lot. Um, but I kept reflecting on all of the really nice, really well-meaning, really intelligent people I had met on the campaign um, who were voting for Donald Trump. Whether it was holding their noses and voting for Donald Trump or voting rather enthusiastically and the kinds of conversations I was having and then looking to social media when I got back home and seeing the vitriol on Twitter and Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I realized that what's happening on the ground and what's happening uh, digitally is not the same. And actually, the New York Times just ran an uh, article talking about how the Democratic Party, as it is reflected on Twitter, is actually not the Democratic Party in real life. Um, and Sounds so, like it would be common sense, but yes. Twitter is the kind of public square. It's where the journalists hang out. It's where exactly. the activists hang out. Right. And that, that might be the base of the Democratic Party, but that is not all of the, the Democratic Party. Exactly. And... On the flip side, it's not all of the Republican Party either. Yeah, I see what you did there. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I practiced that. Right, right. <laughs> so, exactly. And I wanted to uh, really understand the conservative viewpoint. Uh, and I tried to do that throughout the campaign. Um, uh, frankly, the talking points that we were being given by Brooklyn uh, were not effective, right? Mm. When you knock on the doors of conservatives and you're trying to, you know, regurgitate the talking points that uh, headquarters is giving you, it's not working. And, and we by kept Brooklyn, saying that. You mean the Hillary Clinton headquarters? Exactly, the headquarters, Got exactly. Um, and so, and, and the field organizers kept saying that, that these talking points are not effective and we were not being heard. Um, and so I just had to go out and find uh, conservative viewpoints on my own and try to learn what they were saying so that I could rebut effectively against it. And I continued that journey after the election. And I found myself sending people articles like, hey, here's what conservatives think about XYZ. And so the very first edition of The Flip Side went out to 16 of my friends who were sure. too polite to say no. Um, <laughs> and um, now we have over 14,000 subscribers just via word of mouth wow. and earned media alone. And I found my co-founder, uh, Jahan, who's one of the smartest people I've ever met. He volunteered for the Romney campaign, um, has a master's in public policy from so Chicago. So he's from the right and you're from the left. Exactly. Okay. It's our whole shtick. <laughs> We're the new crossfire. Uh, <laughs> Delivered right to your inbox. Exactly. Exactly. In a five-minute read, no less. Uh, we only cover one topic at a time because mm -hmm. 
we understand that confirmation biases exist and it is uncomfortable to read viewpoints you don't agree with. So we focus on one topic and we spend hours making sure that your five minutes are well spent. We're fact checking. Uh, we're genuinely trying to find the best arguments out there, the best quotes that you know get at the point most succinctly. Um, it's hard work, right? Uh, it looks really easy. Oh, it's just a five minute read, but there's a lot in the background that's happening. And I'll admit, I'm a, I'm a subscriber and I read it and I have uh, already sent you a couple emails yes. with some feedback about, hey, I disagree with this, but you've been very open and very exactly. warm and yes. also um, have been rebutting my rebuttals. So it's exactly. been a nice little back and forth. The great news is neither me nor Jahan come from a media journalism background. So we're just making it all up as we go along, um, which means... Aren't we all? Right. On the one <laughs> hand, you know, we don't know what we're doing. On the other hand, we're not making the same mistakes that established right. news outlets um, tend to make. Sure. So... Thinking about the actual curation and production mm -hmm. of the flip side every day, it takes you hours to read these op-eds mm -hmm. and to curate them into five minutes or less. How do you decide which op-eds get featured, which authors get featured, which outlets get featured, or even which topic that you cover? That's such a great question because we realized because we have a great uh, number of readers who are very involved and who do send us uh, really thoughtful feedback that topic choice in and of itself can be biased. So on a given day, are we covering climate change or are we covering the economy? As you can imagine, uh, there are biases on what topic we choose to highlight for our readers. Um, how much are we covering the Mueller investigation, right? All of those choices are biased. And so uh, we first choose a topic by looking at um, what's being covered on social media, what uh, the op-ed contributors are writing about, and also what's new and interesting, right? Uh, so for example, we covered Biden this week, right. um, his official entry into the race. There are still a lot of op-eds being written over the weekend about Biden, but we're most likely not going to cover him again because we just did, and we don't think there's anything particularly new that's been written. Um, other times, there are things being covered in the news, such as, I don't know, Kanye West, that we just don't care about. Hmm. And so we say, you know what, we're not going to cover it, even though it is being uh, written about. Um, those are all choices that we make, and we try to make them in a bipartisan way. And so if we've covered the Mueller investigation three times, you know, in the past two weeks, we're going to cover something that the right is interested in, for example. Um, and then beyond and after is, that... And is that balance for the sake of balance? Or? No, it's balance for the sake of giving people new information and sure. new viewpoints. So sure. uh, if we have already covered uh, a topic and we think we did a good job of covering the viewpoints that are already out there, we don't feel the need to regurgitate the same viewpoints using different op-eds. Yeah. Um, so that's a way in which we try to cover our bases. Um, and when people say, hey, you know, you're not covering X, Y, Z, we say, actually, we did. And it, again, the same topics come up again and again and again. Of so course. we try to uh, vary the topics so that our readers are actually exposed to different kinds of things that are not going to make it through their respective Do bubbles. you have a specific focus? Like us, for example, we generally showcase progressive candidates, causes, and mm -hmm. organizations. We do a lot of candidate features, mm -hmm. and especially around the time of elections. Do you have a specific idea of how you envision things playing as you get closer to 2020? Will you do more candidate coverage as the election cycle heats up, or is it just, just general news? That's a great question. In many, not in many ways, we are a reflection of the media industry as mm, a whole. So right. uh, fortunately and unfortunately, we have to follow their exactly. lead often, right. right? Because we are curating what they are doing and exactly. saying. And so it, I 
hope the 2020 election will be based around the issues, whether it's healthcare or education. Um, I imagine there will be a lot of, you know, horse race topics, yep. you know, polling information, etc. Um, what we worry about actually most is misinformation. Hmm. So when the Covington uh, High School students... Misinformation or fake news or propaganda or all three? All three. three. All three. We worry about all three. So when the Covington High School incidents happened, uh, incident, excuse me, happened, um, we were fortunate enough that we chose not to cover that topic. Um, And then when it turned out that there was more to the story than that one picture of the young boy with the MAGA hat and the Native American person with the drums, that it was indeed a more complex story that was originally told. Sure. We were thankful that we hadn't made that mistake, but it very we very well could have. And especially as we see the Mueller report and as the intelligent agencies are telling us, there are foreign actors and domestic actors, frankly, who right. are spreading misinformation uh, yeah. on social media. And we obviously are going to do the best we can to make sure that we're not spreading false information, but we are not fact-checking every single sentence all the time, right? Uh, we are relying... Well, you can't. I exactly. mean, it's imp- not even these established media outlets can exactly. do it. Exactly. So that's honestly what we're most worried about. And so how do you decide mm-hmm. which outlets get showcased? Like, when you think about your most commonly featured outlets from the mm-hmm. left and the right who, yeah. who do you so on the left we numbers? have cnn new york times uh on the right we have national review we have the wall street journal and then we go farther out uh on the left there's slate salon on the right you've got uh the federalist you've got the daily wire so uh those that's just a you know wide spectrum there's sure. the atlantic there's the american conservative um and I think it's important just to, to distinguish. Do you ever showcase mm-hmm. Breitbart or? We do showcase Breitbart from really? time to time, um, despite their. What about the uh, Gateway Pundit? Not the Gateway Pundit. Okay. So despite Breitbart's uh, many shortcomings, to put it nicely, um, one of the things that we do think about is how can we deliver information in the most succinct way? And to Breitbart's credit, um, they have a pithy way of putting things and. Uh, we make sure that anything we cite, again, is factually accurate, that it's rooted in logic. So uh, from time to time, we have published, uh, we have uh, linked to articles in Breitbart. Yes. So what's interesting about that to me is that Breitbart, in my mind, is this kind of propaganda outlet. It's mm-hmm. funded by the billionaire Mercer family. Steve Bannon is the former chief editor of, of Breitbart. Mm-hmm. Um it is extremely biased. Yes. And when you put that up against an op-ed in the New York Times or Salon or The Atlantic, for example, I feel like they're they're not on the same playing field. So on the left, we cite Jacobin Magazine. Okay. We cite uh, a lot of very progressive, very left. The Nation? Reading. Yes, we cite The Nation all okay. the time. Okay. And so it would be unfair for us to cite the far left and not the far right. And regarding Is Breitbart, it unfair of me to say that I feel like those on the left have more credibility than the Breitbarts and the Daily Wires? I, think, I don't think it's unfair to say that journalistic standards and uh, are different across publications, right? That's obviously true. Uh, there are some publications that do a better job of sourcing their information than others. Sure. I think that's definitely true. At the same time, I don't think we can ignore the voices that are influential. And, 
you know, you talked about how we make those types of decisions. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that we're talking about the same things. So when we talk about the flip side and, you know, exposing people to different viewpoints, there are a multitude of ways to do that and the multitude of uh, demographics to think about. You have the politicians, right? You've got Congress, you've got the White House, then you've got the voters themselves, right? That's yeah. what polling data is trying to get at. What do voters actually think? And then you have the media, the commentators, and those three groups are distinct and are not sometimes aligned. Hmm. So on a given day, we obviously don't have, you know, the latest polling data on something that happened six hours ago. Of course. So, and we are also not a polling organization. So we're, we, we look at what's being said on Twitter and Facebook, et cetera. But again, that's not an accurate reflection of how voters actually think. And so we don't put too much weight on it, even though we are following the polling data and looking at the social media to see what's being said. Um, and then, of course, we already know what the politicians are saying because they're going all over town saying it, whether it's on Fox, whether it's on MSNBC, et cetera, et cetera. What we at the flip side do is actually uh, look at the commentators in the media on the right uh, and on the left to say what they are saying. We mm -hmm. think we exercise a lot of editorial judgment, um, and that's why it's very important that we have a bipartisan team. So on, uh, besides my co-founder and I, we have a plethora of contributors uh, who come from the far left, the far right, the center left, center right, uh, libertarians, and what have you, uh, who are working uh, to read these op-eds with us to make sure that we are um, really getting the full spectrum and making sure that we are highlighting interesting viewpoints, uh, viewpoints that we think are rooted in reality that you might disagree with, but that are worth hearing because mm. it is something that uh, other people are reading that they might find valuable and therefore we should listen to them. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. So how do we, how do we actually bridge the divide? It's, it's one thing to read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, words from yeah. someone that you disagree with. Um, but social media, to your original point, has fractured us in such a way Absolutely. that um, our followers at Millennial Politics and my personal followers, I'm never really going to interact with someone who truly disagrees with me. And if mm -hmm. I am, it's going to be in 140 characters or 280 right. characters, and they're going to tell me how stupid I am and how I'm unpatriotic, and then I'm going to block them, and that'll be that, and yep. we move on. So so how do we actually yep. bridge the divide beyond yep. reading your daily digest? Right. 
Um, I'll answer that in a second, but just okay. one quick comment. Um, it's so fascinating. Uh, we have a Twitter presence and a Facebook presence. Um, we actually don't. What are your handles, by the way, for uh, our followers? Know the flip side, K N O W the flip side. Thank cool. you for asking. Of course. <laughs> and um, we do post, you know, every couple of days, but we don't make a habit of posting all the time because part of our ethos is that people should get off social media, and so we live oh, by those ethos. Um, I am I am online way too much. <laughs> um, but like what, most millennials, I think to be honest. Right. Exactly. I mean, I lurk. I just don't post. Uh-huh. Very <laughs> I'm nice. a lurker. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but we see that our criticisms are public, so people uh, take to our Facebook and Twitter feeds to uh, cite their uh, views, and often it's uh, very negative and name-calling, etc. Um, it's but, easy to do that from behind exactly, the keyboard. But all of the emails we get are so nice. It's people saying, hey, I really enjoy reading this newsletter, or hey, I'm sharing it with my friends, etc. So our uh, criticisms are public, and our... Uh, uh, accolades are uh, private, which is really interesting. But um, I think bridging the divide is a tough, tough nut to crack. Um, I don't think it's a secret that we're more polarized than, mm-hmm. you know, uh, essentially ever, uh, unless you're looking at the time right before the Civil War, which is not a good sign. Um, and we say at the flip side that the flip side is only a starting point, right? Yeah. Um, there are a multitude of organizations uh, bringing liberals and conservatives together from living room conversations uh, to make America dinner again, um, a better angels, which uh, puts together red blue workshops where they actually uh, work through different topics by bringing people together. It's a, a pretty regimented workshop, but I think a really interesting and a cool model. And there are uh, different ways that uh, organizations are tackling the problem uh, one-on-one versus um, using online training, for example. So Heterodox Academy, which is a nonprofit uh, devoted to uh, improving viewpoint diversity on college campuses, uh, they have an option called Open Mind Platform, which is an online training that helps mm-hmm. people um, just discern facts from opinion and uh, all that good stuff. So we need all of these tools. So uh, what I always say is that you should try to find people in real life who disagree with you. But before you do that, make sure to start reading the flip side or else you won't be able to have that conversation. Um, And especially during the campaign, um, there are going to be a lot of people like me who very much live in their bubbles who are going to have to go out and talk to people who very much disagree with them. Um, And guess what? The campaigns are not going to be great at giving them talking points. Hopefully, Hopefully better than they were in 2016. I sincerely hope so. Um, But there are so many things we can do, including fixing social media, right? Um, Without getting into who is uh, allowed to speak on Twitter and who's not allowed to speak, there are structural changes that can be made. So uh, user design questions that are at play to make sure that we're de-emphasizing, you know, angry comments and, you know, there are... Things that Twitter and Facebook can do to make sure the loudest the loudest voices are not always the ones getting the most attention. Well, I, I think I think Facebook and Twitter need to do a lot more for a variety of different right. issues, yes. whether it's combating extremism from any side, from all sides, from yep. um, regardless of what country or background or ideology. Extremism is a problem. It's a growing problem, yes. and, and we've seen that. Um, and there, there seems to be a reticence on social media to like actually use their their platform to combat it. So that's correct. That I, I understand where you're coming from from that side, but unfortunately, it seems like Facebook and Twitter really don't have a desire to 
to do exactly. that right now for whatever right. reason. Um, I uh, think they need to. At the same time, there are ways we ourselves can use social media for good, right? So we can decide to follow the thoughtful commentator. So for your readers, there is David French at the National Review. There's the Wall Street Journal uh, editorial board. There is the American conservative. There is the Federalist, right? They can all follow those people. Yeah. And Coulter does not speak for the entire conservative movement. No, but you but you do see a funny way of something getting started on Reddit, making mm-hmm. its way to Breitbart, to the Daily Wire, sure. yes. and then to and Donald Trump's Twitter feed, Correct. and then to Fox News, and then it's yes. that is the right-wing talking point. And it... it it seems to come, at least in my mind, there is this kind of circular process to it originating on the internet, somehow finding its way to Donald Trump. He blasts it out to his tens of millions of followers. Fox and Friends picks it up and they're, they're, it's off to the races. That is an oversimplification, but I don't disagree that there are things that start on the far left and far right that make their way into the mainstream. Right? I, I would take issue and say it happens much more frequently on the far right. Than on the far left. Um, I think data suggests that it is a worse problem on the right. Yes. Okay, cool. No uh, disagreement no, there. Okay, yes. great. No, I'll, I'll take that as a win. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but again, it, it's a matter of quantity, not necessarily yes. quality. Sure, I would agree with that. Um, I'd love to get your perspective on the current election. Oh, boy. Um, well, I guess it's not even a current election. <laughs> right. Um, We've still got over a year. So where where do you come out on 2020? Because you are, you're a Democrat. You work for yes. Hillary. Yes. So where do you see yourself kind of lining up uh, amongst the candidates and with the labels, whether it's mm-hmm. moderate, progressive, technocrat, Obama Democrat? There are so many of them. Yes. Neoliberal, yes, liberal. Yes, um, I... I'm very politically confused and also confused about what my role is as simultaneously a Democrat and the CEO of the flip side. Mm. Um, Because I think we at the flip side, we say that we are equally biased. So I come at it from my liberal bias and Jahan comes at it from his conservative bias mm-hmm. and all of our contributors are bringing their own biases into so the you're, product. So you're not trying to eliminate bias. You're trying to bring your bias into it. Yes. I think we need to distinguish between bias and accuracy. Mm. One can be biased and accurate. One can be unbiased and inaccurate. So yes, we are bias. We have our own personal biases. Everyone has Exactly. Biases. And we debate each other and we argue and we talk and we try to figure out within our biases, what are the factual um, talking points? What are the data points that we should highlight for our readers? What's going to enlighten them? What's going to inform them? And so I don't deny my liberal bias, sure. um, just as Jahan doesn't deny his conservative bias. Mm-hmm. But as somebody who's working to bridge the divide, I want to stay away from telling my readers, you know, oh, I think this candidate is amazing and this candidate sucks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You'll leave that to the commentators like me. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, right now, I really like uh, Senator Warren. Uh She's growing on me a lot. I do find some of her policies to be out there. Okay. I don't think a wealth tax is feasible. Uh, among other reasons, there's uh, there's a lot of debate about whether or not it's even constitutional, right? So that, for me, is a red flag. But 
I think she's really intelligent. I think she's the most thoughtful and the uh-huh. most policy oriented of the many uh, candidates we so, have in the field. So right I now. really agree with that. I think what is catching my attention, I think what is catching the attention of a lot of activists in the party is that. Um, one, she's not getting as much media attention for whatever reason. Exactly. Yes. And two, she's rolling out real policy mm-hmm. day after day after day. Yes. And it's thoughtful policy. And you may yes. disagree with some of it, although right, right. I, I certainly think a wealth tax is constitutional. There, I mean, Congress has the the power to right. levy taxes. Well, that's a debate we should be we, having. Right. Like, let's have that Rather debate. Than talking about what's his face's dog. Right. Exactly. Yes. Who's what's his face? I don't know. They all have dogs. They all have dogs, right? <laughs> I think Mayor Pete's dogs. They I follow them on Twitter. Right, right. Um, I actually also really like Mayor Pete. Okay. And but what, he what? really disappointed me in the town hall last week. Really? On CNN? Yes. Okay. Tell me more. He gave this non-answer to not having any policies. He was the kid that didn't do his homework, as Trevor Noah says. So that's interesting. My understanding is that he is putting forth a vision, and he's saying that vision is more important than policy. Again, agree, disagree. This is where uh, I say I'm a technocrat. Okay. So you're you're kind <laughs> of in all look, of the it's camps. It's easy to say I'm for healthcare for all. I'm for education for all. But if you have no hope of passing it, passing any legislation, if you don't have a plan on how to actually work within the system, to work with Congress, to work yeah. you know, within existing uh systems then it doesn't matter your words are worthless so what's interesting is not you you strike me as a more center left moderate democrat in the vein of a barack obama or a hillary clinton yeah maybe but 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 elizabeth warren (laughs) is appealing to you yes yes I, and she's and she's like a bernie sanders that's why i started with i am politically confused (laughs) Um, it's a con- politically confusing time. Yes, Let's this is true. This is true. Um, yes, exactly. I mean, would I rather have a center-left candidate who has detailed policy plans? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, I'm not seeing that. Right. Uh, Biden is unimpressive, to say the least. Really? Yes. What do you think of his angle that I'm the one that can beat Donald Trump? That seems to be what he's going for. That he seems is to, what he's He going seems for. to have the argument that Donald Trump is an existential threat to the future of this country. Correct. And I think that's appealing to a lot of people. It's appealing to me at some level. Right. I do recognize that there are structural, systemic things that are broken, mm-hmm. whether it's our healthcare system, uh, more macro institutions like the Electoral College, yeah. um, even our criminal justice system. But I think what is appealing about Joe Biden is the idea like, this kind of, hey, folks, this is really messed up and we got to get this man out of the White House. Everything else can come later. We can, again, debate that. But that seems to be his appeal. So I disagree on two things. Okay. Uh, one, I think Trump is a, sim- a symptom yeah. of our polarized nation and that's what we need to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Everyone talks about uh, how the 2016 election was so historic, it was so, you know, deviant from other elections, etc. But if you look at the numbers alone, over 90% of Democrats voted for Hillary Clinton, over 90% of Republicans voted for Donald Trump. Um, despite Donald Trump's extremely problematic rhetoric, he actually won a slightly smaller share of the white vote and a slightly larger share of the black and Hispanic votes than Mitt Romney did in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at the midterm elections, Democrats did well. They did very well. But actually, D- 
Donald Trump did a better job of holding down his party's influence in Congress than Bill Clinton did in 1994 and uh, Barack Obama did in 2010. So when you look at the numbers, there's actually very little difference between what we're seeing and what has been happening over decades. Um, I don't think getting Donald Trump out of the White House is going to solve most of our problems. Um, I think his rhetoric is extremely, extremely problematic. And to... It's dangerous. It's, it's worth noting that I do think that if we have a candidate with the same policies but toned down rhetoric, that would make a qualitative difference. But I don't think we should be staking all of the country's future on that alone. And I also don't think, this is the second thing that I disagree with, that Biden is the most likely uh, to necessarily beat Donald Trump. Right. And what, is ele- about, what does electability mean anymore? Exactly. When we talk about electability, what are we talking about? Are we talking about, you know, another old white man? Okay. I mean, if that's what we think our country is capable of, then that's quite depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't think we can elect somebody who looks different, if we don't think we can elect somebody who is... Uh, going to be more daring in their policy proposals. Look, I disagree with the far left, but hey, they're putting together proposals, whereas the center left is largely remaining silent. So, and I think you know we we have data on this. The idea that we can't elect someone different was thrown out the window when Barack Hussein Obama exactly, was elected the exactly. president of the United States. So you know, I, I think yeah, Biden does not excite me in the least. Okay. Let's put it that way. Well, we'll have to have you back, and <laughs> we will revisit this conversation awesome. as the 2020 election starts to shape up. Um, Anafi, thanks so much for coming on one more time. How can people find you? How can they sign up? Yes, Go our uh, social media handles are Know the Flipside, K N O W the Flipside, and you can subscribe to our newsletter at theflipside.io. And yes, it is a real website, theflipside.io. Uh, please visit us. Uh, we outlined uh, our vetting process on the homepage itself so you can um, see and decide. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for our listeners, uh, stay tuned for our next episode. Subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Be sure to give us a five-star rating and check out our Patreon and give us some support. Thanks for listening.